Chapter Twenty of Neighbours by Florence Morse Kingsley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The end of an arid August witnessed the opening of the Merks Munitions Works in the enlarged and renovated buildings over by the swamp. For months past, Innisfield had enjoyed a vastly increased volume of business which the new enterprise had brought to town, and now a small army of workers had taken possession of the barrack-like buildings erected by the company in the immediate neighbourhood of the plant. Mrs. Buckthorn's protest, with its red ink signatures, had been duly forwarded to the company. Its receipt had been promptly acknowledged by the secretary of the Merck's munitions works, who stated in a letter to Mrs. Buckthorn that its contents, as noted, would receive the earnest consideration of the stockholders. At a subsequent meeting of the Ladies' Aid Society, the damning fact was disclosed that a document of quite a different sort had been sent to the new concern, signed by the businessmen of the community, who had banded together to furnish substantial inducements to the Merck's munition works to locate in our midst. It was a burning, scarifying shame, agreed the ladies, and Mrs. Buckthorn, who, as the head and front of the movement, naturally took the lead in the spirited discussion which followed, spoke strongly of Belial, and mentioned the Merck's company as an instrument in the hands of the devil, which somehow mollified everybody's feelings. It was thought to be a truly providential circumstance that the Reverend George Pilgrim would open his evangelistic campaign on the very day the Merck's Munitions Company began its operations, and when, in his initial sermon, preached on a hot August night to the fluttering of innumerable fans, the Reverend Pilgrim alluded to the coincidence in picturesque terms, the women leaned forward in pleased attention, still cooling themselves busily, whereat the Reverend Pilgrim suddenly shot up to the full height of a substantial stool placed behind the pulpit, and leaned far out over the desk, gesticulating with energy. "'Put down those fans!' he shouted. "'I'm not preaching to fans, baseball or any other kind. Put them down, I say. Some of you folks will be so hot in hell some of these days, you'll holler for a drop of water to cool your tongues, but you won't get it unless you repent and be converted.' and there won't be any fans there. Talk about munitions workers. I tell you, you've all got to get busy. Take off your kid gloves and get into working clothes. You can't raise a blister with the sort of blank cartridges you've got in this church. I know your sort. You can't fool me, and you can't fool God either. They tell me there's a munitions factory started just outside of your dead old town. There's nothing dead out there. Those men are working like devils in hell to make stuff to kill men's bodies. But you, what have you been doing all these years to save men's souls? I counted fifty saloons in this town today, and six houses of ill fame and a hundred loafers. I haven't counted the hypocrites yet, nor the liars, nor the religious fakers. Maybe you think there aren't any. <laughs> God knows better. I shall know better after I've been here a week. It's my job 
to throw all such stuff on the junk pile and i'm going to do it god can't work with stiffs he wants real live folks that ain't afraid of dynamite we're going to need shrapnel in this town to blow up the entrenchments of the devil and we're going to begin with the ministers and the elders and the deacons and the church members that's where we're going to begin and we're going to begin right now the people in the pews derived a fleeting satisfaction from the sight of their pastor's pale distressed face mr pettibone was pilloried on the platform in full view of his congregation he had read from the bible in his usual forensic style his succeeding prayer had been earnest and spiritual full of pleadings for the divine mercy and the leadings of the spirit but its phraseology had been formal and scriptural it had differed in no wise from the sort of prayer he had been wont to offer from what was popularly known as the sacred desk for many years past do look at mr pettibone whispered miss electa pratt to her neighbour mrs deaconess buckthorn and philora too ain't it funny i do hope and pray it's going to do em good responded mrs buckthorn piously but the attention of the ladies was suddenly arrested by the high explosive voice of the evangelist which appeared to be aimed directly at them with the effect of a bursting shell what sort of folks do i mean by hypocrites he bellowed you don't know eh well i'll tell you what god means by a hypocrite and you pay attention to what i tell you or you'll wish you had some day every pious old duffer who keeps a corner grocery store but whose weights and measures have been fixed so as to bring in a few more measly pennies to his till know any of them every woman who teaches a sunday school class on sunday and gossips spitefully about her neighbours on monday tuesday and the rest of the week know any such every girl who draws her skirts aside from her soiled sisters on the street but stands ready to sell herself to the highest bidder who'll give her the right to put missus before her name ever hear of such a thing oh i see some of you folks grinning that's right laugh and be damned you thought i didn't get you and you're just mean enough to laugh when you see the other fellow hit <laughs> god understands your sort you can't fool him not for a minute why there's more than fifty-seven sorts and varieties of hypocrites i'm not going to waste your time nor mine naming em but i'll tell you one thing my smiling friend and just you paste it in your hat unless you get down to brass tacks and corner that slippery slimy self if you don't hunt out your own particular brand of hypocrisy and yank it out root and branch you can't count yourself in the kingdom stop snickering long enough to take in the proposition right now you're either saved or lost ever think of that there's no rail fence between heaven and hell for you to roost on your minister never talked to you like this you're thinking you're dead right he never did why 
because your churches make cowards of your settled pastors they ain't one of em between here and frisco that dares call his soul his own they've got the notion that their bread and butter depends on pleasing a lot of whining hypocritical church members and nothing short of an earthquake will shake em out of it how do i know this well i'll tell you i was the pastor of a church in a western town once and there was a rich brewer in my congregation used to locate of a sunday morning right down in a conspicuous pew in the centre aisle a big fat pompous looking chap he was worth a million or so and he had that church right where he wanted it i hadn't been their pastor a week before one of my elders warned me against the subject of temperance you've got to be careful mr pilgrim says he won't do to antagonise mr so-and-so why do you know he contributes annually to the support of this church something like a thousand dollars we couldn't afford to pay your salary if it wasn't for so-and-so did i see the point you can bet i saw it all right i had a wife and three kids and i'd never understood the story of elijah and the ravens for a cent so i was mighty careful to skate around the extreme edge of the booze question never went near it for more than a year and then one sunday the spirit of the lord came upon me mightily i looked down from the pulpit and i saw that smug old sinner sitting there as complacent as a stuffed boa constrictor and i let out the thunders of sinai god spoke through me that day and i ripped the booze question up the back and then i told them the truth about the measly cowardly church and how they tried to put the muzzle on me same as they had on all their other ministers the lord gave me utterance in the middle of it old so-and-so got up and stomped out of the church and at the same minute i caught a glimpse of my wife's white scared face but i was free thank god and i stayed so during the fervid appeal to sinners and the tumultuous singing of the closing hymn during which a few impressionable girls and a sparse sprinkling of grey-headed men and women representing the backsliders came forward to grasp the evangelist's hand mr pettibone's controlled features manifested little of what he was thinking he was dimly aware of various zealous members of his flock as they approached to congratulate mr pilgrim on the success of his opening sermon tell you what that's the stuff wheezed deacon scrimger sinners need rousing give em hell fire i been urging it on to our pastor right along but shucks he's one of them meechin fellers you was tellin about <laughs> praise the lord you ain't afraid to speak right out said mrs buckthorn wiping the perspiration from her massive countenance my my what a blessed season we're entering upon i can tell you some of your remarks fairly drawed blood but there's those in our midst needs rousin and i guess you ain't very wide of the mark when you begin with the minister mr george trimmer announced himself as so favourably impressed by mr pilgrim's sermon 
that he was disposed to invite the evangelist to dinner on the following day i should like you to meet the members of my family around the family altar said mr trimmer sonorously a few words from you on the subject of personal sanctification might serve to cheer us as we travel along life's pathway but mr pilgrim shook his head he never made social visits while at work he stated half an hour later as he turned to speak to mr pettibone he appeared to notice for the first time that gentleman's perturbed and pallid countenance see here pettibone said mr pilgrim you don't want to take too seriously what i said tonight i make it a rule to begin with heckling the ministers because nothing rouses the people so effectively nothing personal about it merely an opening gun wait and see me open up on those entrenched old hypocrites tomorrow night i sized them up all right by the way how long have you preached here twenty years too long i begin to think said mr pettibone with some bitterness but what can i do you were young when you broke your chains besides not all ministers can be evangelists the reverend pilgrim smiled humorously no but many of them might be better employed than they are now he said mind i don't mean you though i'm not so sure now i've had a bird's-eye view of your field mr pettibone was stonily silent the fact is pettibone pursued mr pilgrim with waning enthusiasm the church as a whole could be handled more effectively without settled pastors what is needed is an organization of trained specialists paid by the church as a whole to do the work imagine one of these atrophied old churches treated to a course in spiritual dynamics by men like me men not dependent upon any one church for salary answerable only to god and the central administration which would have the care of all the churches get me mr pettibone drew his brows into a frowning line i understand what you mean yes he assented coldly but um it doesn't hit you very hard eh well i'm not surprised it's tremendously revolutionary i know and would involve a complete overhauling of those respectable refrigerators we call theological seminaries but it's bound to come mr pettibone strove to consider the matter objectively does your scheme provide for the usual pastoral duties and such special sacraments as burials weddings and sick-bed ministrations he propounded mildly it would seem to me that in severing the bond between pastor and people much would be lost but mr pilgrim was experiencing the inevitable reaction due half an hour after preaching his versatile mind was now occupied with thoughts of the hot bath supper and bed awaiting him at his hotel he had already set down mr pettibone as one of a negligible type to be eliminated from his future scheme of things more particularly he had disliked mr pettibone's timid manner of addressing the deity the reverend george pilgrim spoke loudly and familiarly to his god using the vernacular of the streets people sat up and listened to that sort of prayer 
It was original, snappy, full of piquant surprises and racy epithets. Pettibone, he saw plainly, was a hopeless duffer. No use of wasting energy in argument with Pettibone. Well, good night, said Mr. Pilgrim definitely. <clears throat> uh, I should be glad to call on you tomorrow morning, said Mr. Pettibone, for the purpose of conferring. At eleven-thirty, snapped the evangelist. Not a minute sooner. His wife, in her blue dressing-gown and pom-pomed slippers, was waiting for him in the study, when the minister let himself into the parsonage half an hour later. I thought you might be hungry, she excused herself, and the baby waked up and cried, so I wasn't... Better go to bed, my dear, he advised. I'm not at all hungry. His eyes wandered toward his books. She stood waiting expectantly, her hand on the knob. I think I'll read a while, he said presently. I'm, I'm not sleepy. She turned and came toward him swiftly, impulsively, and with a spent breath he opened his arms to receive her. For a long minute neither spoke, and then she stood on tiptoe to kiss his pale face. Silas, she said. Silas. He patted her brown head awkwardly. Yes, my dear, I know. I know. Better not say it. But Silas, that man. He led her unresisting to the door and gently closed it between them. End of chapter 20